0: Hello, everybody. My name is Jake McGrail, and alongside me are Corey Branson, Diana Hong, and Mike Liu of CITR Sports, broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9, always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. A few days ago, Corey sat down with UBC head golf coach Chris McDonald and got so much out of it. That we have to split up the interview into two parts. We'll play the first part on the second half of today's show. And first, we have plenty to cover, including the Women's Rugby National Championships, football playoffs, both of which went not quite as uh, we we might have hoped. (laughs) And also the volleyball season openers. To begin, we'll look at what happened in Kingston this past week for women's rugby.
1: Women's Rugby entered the National Championship Tournament as one of the top contender, contenders, but unfortunately crashed out in the quarterfinals before rebounding in the consolation rounds to finish in fifth place, ending their season with an overall regular and postseason record of 9-1. to one.
2: Yeah, this past Wednesday was the Women's Rugby Quarterfinals, and the hosts of the tournament, the Queen's Golden Eagles, defeated the T-Birds 33-26. This was the T-Birds' only loss of the season. Hurts that it came in this tournament. Sorry, is it the Golden Eagles?
0: It's, it's the Gales. Oh, it is the Gales. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was a typo. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: Why is it spelt like that?
3: I was I was so shook for a moment. I, I've always been saying Gales, and I was like, Golden
0: Eagles? The, the, the Gales, it's... Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's not It's not a bird. It's, it's... correct. I found it. <laughs> <laughs> see? It's, it's, what does that mean?
3: <laughs> what is a golden gale? All right. Well, Queens got off to a great start. Back to the game action. Uh they were up 21 to 7 with just 20 in just 20 minutes. But the T-Birds slowly caught up to the Gales beginning late in the first half. They eventually tied the game in the 51st with an Emma uh, with Emma uh, Feldinger's second try of the game. But uh Queens Bridget Perros uh Perros uh we'll go with that. Bridget Perros scored a try in the 64th to win it. Queens then went on to win the national championship. So, in a sense, uh, yeah. UBC is the second best team in the nation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I, it's a bit of a stretch. Yes, but.
0: I feel like the people who won the silver medal would dispute that claim. But <laughs> we, we can try and get the transitive property going. Uh, that loss meant that UBC did go to the Constellation semifinal game. They bounced back. They beat Acadia 64-17 to after going up 45 nothing in the first 25 minutes of the game. Very good. Uh... Rebound performance from the first loss of the season, Savannah Botter, spectacular performance with three tries, including the game winner in the eighth minute, Piper Logan and Olivia Sarabara each had two tries of their own.
1: The consolation final against Guelph was another blowout as the birds won 57 to 19. Roy Wood had a strong game with two tries as seven different Thunderbirds scored.
2: In the end-of-season awards ceremony, Botter was named Canada West Player of the Year. She finished
3: with 82 points in the regular season and then another 57 points at Nationals. And fourth-year head coach Dean Merton was named Canada West Coach of the Year for a second consecutive season. The program looks to, uh, looks to continues to look promising as it heads into 2022.
0: Yeah, and really unfortunate that they ran into Queens, I guess, in the quarterfinals, given how badly they beat both Acadia and Guelph. Running, running into the eventual champions right away is tough, but a great season, obviously, for the team.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, as the women's team ended their season, men's rugby played their final game of the Coastal Cup on Saturday, beating the Crimson Tide 31-20. to Unfortunately, we don't know anything else other than the score. <laughs>
0: yeah, men's rugby, please do a better job of covering uh, the, the team. We we, we we want to be able to share more because the team is usually quite good. Uh, This result means that the Thunderbirds finished the first ever Coastal Cup tied for second with Pacific Pride with a 4-1-1 record. It was Vancouver Wave who won the Cup with a perfect 6-0 and record. You
3: can also point out that Vancouver Wave's all like fully grown adults. So yes. So this, this is a really solid it, the, the two
0: other people. university teams, Victoria and Trinity Western, both did pretty badly in the Coastal Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it was UBC and the club teams that were winning these games.
3: Pretty much. Uh, next up for UBC is the Canadian University Rugby Championships taking place from November 27th, which is next Wednesday, to um, 28th in Kingston. Thunderbirds are the number one seed, and they'll play the Royal Military College of Canada in the quarterfinals.
1: UBC has won two of the three previous Canadian University Rugby Championships. They lost in the final in 2019 against Victoria, so are looking to reclaim the crown.
0: Okay, I did some research. <laughs> yes, I know what a gale is now. Okay. <laughs> that that's that's what that's what Cory has been doing while we've been talking about rugby. It's so
2: it's a Gaelic speaking person. Uh apparently it's because the founding of Queen's University had a lot to do with like the like Scotland and Scottish heritage at the school. Uh and then the golden is just a reference to their jerseys. So, so
1: I wasn't wrong. No, no, Diana <laughs> was not wrong. I just didn't know what a gale was. It's
2: not a, it's not okay. a, it's not
3: an eagle. <laughs> no, it's definitely not, <laughs> not eagle. an eagle. Well, let's move on to football, and, uh, (laughs) well, uh, all good things must come to an end, and despite a very strong push towards the end of the season, especially after, sorry, just for context, this team, this is a team that was voted by coaches to finish dead last in Canada West, that started the season 0-2 with back-to-back blowouts. They fought back to lock down a playoff berth, but unfortunately... UBC football fell to the Saskatchewan Huskies, the number four team in the country, 39 to uh, 17 in the Hardy Cup semifinals.
0: Yeah, that score doesn't look great, but unlike the blowout losses to begin this season, it was a closer game for most of the most of the time than that final score would indicate. Uh, tight battle. UBC they did have some struggles early on getting their offense going, but their defense did hold strong for a while. They limited Saskatchewan, the number four team in the country to just three rouges uh, early on.
1: However, it was the Huskies that scored the first touchdown of the game as Adam McCart capped off a drive with a 14-yard run to push the lead to 10-0.
2: Second quarter was when UBC's offense came to life, though. Thanks to Kaywon Johnson pick, the Thunderbirds got the ball on the Huskies' 40. Isaiah Knight drove 26 yards to get them to a first-and goal. It took them all three downs, but Garrett Rooker scampered in the end zone
3: to tally UBC's first points on the day. The teams would trade field goals before heading into the half. The score is sitting at 13-10 for the Huskies. Mason Nyhus, of course, being the quarterback, a Canada West quarterback of the year uh, or, or an offensive all-star, he came out of the gates firing in the third, driving, down, driving Sask down the field. He capped it off with a 32-yard touchdown pass to Daniel Perry early in,
0: early in the third. UBC fought back again. It was Lucas Master domenico scored his first touchdown of his career, ran the ball in, cut the lead back down to five. That was as close as it would be the rest of the way, however. Mackard pulled in another touchdown on the very next drive to make it 29-17. And the Huskies later added another field goal and another touchdown. Saskatchewan, they haven't lost at home since 2018. So no shame in UBC for not being able to uh, break that streak there.
1: Uh, for the Thunderbirds, it was a dispo- disappointing and to a pretty good season. Not many predicted them, including myself, to even. <laughs> <be> <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, hey, I mean, when it was zero and two, the mood here in the yeah. studio, oh, it was bad. not great. Yeah,
1: no, and you know, predicted them to be even in the playoffs. And this young team showed a lot of cho- promise. They will be back, but I remember, like the, I was there at the game, taking some photos or videos, With and the, I was the
0: homecoming game.
1: No, 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 no. The before the qualifier against Alberta.
0: Oh, yeah, Alberta the fi- yeah. The final yeah, game yeah, of yeah. the regular season.
1: And I was like, oh, oh, all right.
0: I <laughs> guess we're here
2: now. <laughs> okay. Question before we move on Is Master Domenico the longest non hyphenated last name in UBC Athletics? <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> I think it's up there. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, it's got to be up there. Six where's, syllables. Where's the database? <laughs> we, <laughs> I don't know.
0: We, we need to find out whether this is true. Or I'm not, not going to do this just research to, on air. That'll take want to too long.
3: Point out though, like on top of Master Domenico, like Master Domenico was forced to come in because Isaiah Knight had to go out for an injury concern, which is not great. But he really stepped up, and also another shout out. Someone who I didn't mention was Liam Wishart, the fifth year receiver. He made some spectacular catches to get them driving down the field. A lot of the first downs were thanks to his hands being so solid throughout the game.
2: What happened to uh, Great Dane Kapler?
3: Uh <laughs> he. So he's injured. He was injured in the oh. Calgary game, and so both the top running backs, top, like they were top five in rushing yards. Yeah, they couldn't play. So yeah, that's well, tough. Like, so we and like Isaiah obviously had to just step out a little bit early on, but it's it's tough. And just credit for the team to fighting through all of that.
0: We'll uh, see what's in store for the Thunderbirds next season. And teams that are just starting their season is volleyball, the final winter sport to get underway this year. It finally had their season openers this past weekend. Both teams took on Fraser Valley here at home. Fraser Valley have just made the transition to Canada West play in volleyball this season. Unfortunately for the UBC women's team, it was against them that the Cascades recorded their first ever Canada West win as they won the (laughs) Friday match three to one. (laughs)
1: Despite UBC only winning one set, this was a super close match all the way through with all four sets decided by four points or less. The Thunderbirds even had more kills and a better hitting percentage than the Cascades, but it wasn't enough.
2: Second-year middle blocker Claire Cossarini had a big performance in her Canada West debut, 13 kills and a 500 hitting percentage. Erica Vermette was also strong with 12 kills and 12 digs,
3: while Kara Kovacs had 11 kills and two blocks. Saturday's match was much better for UBC as they bounced back with uh, three sets to nothing when uh, holding the Cascades to under 20 points in both the first two sets. Uh, and, they, and they also really shut down the Cascades offense, hitting, uh, holding them to a 0.142 hitting percentage, which is almost 1 out of 10 uh, kills. going. <laughs> That's just not a good percentage you want to be hitting at. But uh, the T-Birds, they hit uh, double that, uh, 0.283
0: as a team. Kovacs, another big night for her, 13 kills, 7 digs, and 2 aces. While Courtney Hillier had 12 kills and 7 digs, Kossarini had 8 kills and a game-high 5 blocks.
1: The Thunderbirds did much better when it came to controlling their serves with just 5 service errors. And they nearly doubled the Cascades in total kill count, 46-26. to
0: And the men's team, they did not have any problems against UFV as they swept them on both nights. The first match on Friday was a clean 3-0 win, where the score in both the second and third sets was 25-12. <laughs> to 12. Absolute domination. Ouch. UBC is <laughs> super
2: efficient offensively. They hit 453, 30 kills, and just six attack errors. They also had 15 aces, just one for the Cascades, so quite an advantage in that category. Eight blocks compared to three for the Cascades. So all across
3: the board, they beat them. Last season, the Thunderbirds were led by the offensive trio of Matt Neves, Michael Dehaniuk, and uh, Colton Liu. And, of course, all three are back this year. Matt Neves had 10 kills and 5 aces. Duhaniuk had 6 kills, 5 digs, and 5 aces. And uh, Liu rounded it out with 6 kills, 6 digs, and 3 blocks.
1: While the second match was a little bit closer, it was still an easy 3-0 win for UBC. With UFV only scoring more than 17 points in a set once, Neves led the way offensively again, again with 9 kills, 3 blocks, and an incredible 9 aces, tied for second most in a match in Canada West history.
0: I mean, that's quite an uh, an impressive number right there. I, I looked it up, and the tied for the second most with 9 aces, the record, though, it's not 10, it's not 11, it's 13 aces.
3: Sorry, so half, basically half of the points in an entire set.
0: Yeah, 13, someone back in, I think it was 2005 or 2006, had 13 aces in a single match. Did Which is quite insane. Uh, I can't remember the name. No, it was uh, someone from uh, Trinity Western, oh, obviously. But um... <laughs> oh, well. Trinity Western. But uh, yeah, in in this game on Saturday, along with Neves' nine aces, uh, only five different Thunderbirds recorded a kill, but they didn't need anything else. They were kept rolling offensively. he had the most with 10. Lou had six, along with four digs. Thunderbirds, they again had single-digit attack errors with just nine, making it Fifteen and six sets over the, the two two matches, quite a comfortable performance for them. And well, next up, it's a much bigger test
3: than the ones out in Abbotsford, as the Thunderbirds travel to Langley to take on the traditional powerhouse in the conference, Trinity Western. And I mean, what else? What else is there to say? The Spartans—they're—they're <laughs> they're pretty. It's pretty unlucky that two of the best volleyball programs in all of Canada happen to be in the same conference. But it makes for good action for us. The Spartans' men's and women's teams have combined to win eight conference championships in the last six seasons. They're both off to a 2-0 start and, as always, should be an incredible match to watch.
2: They like to just throw at aces in those ones. <laughs> they, they sound incredibly fun on paper, but they just, they just bomb. That's... And there, there are no, like, rallies or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, but,
3: but it's, the, it's the emotion of the match that gets It's here. true.
2: It's true. They, it's like an
3: all-star game. It's it's a lot of fun with the quality of players. And, yeah, a lot of them are Team Canada Junior team members yeah. or yeah. soon-to-be national team yeah. members. Yeah,
0: I know the um, the men's Trinity Western team is currently ranked number one in the country too. UBC, I think, is just outside the top five it, right it, now. It's so. not surprising. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's a big test, especially because you're only playing BC teams this yep. year. So Trinity Western is the one truly elite team that UBC is going to be playing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be fun.
2: Now looking at basketball, first games away from the friendly confines of the War Memorial Gym. Not a problem in the slightest for our men's basketball team. They torched the UBC Okanagan Heat to extend their season opening win streak. A 99-65 victory on Friday, followed by a 75-54 win on Saturday means this team is 6-0 with no signs of slowing down.
1: The series opener was the first home game for the Heat since January 2020, but that boost it did nothing to deter the Thunderbirds who romped in all four quarters. The halftime lead was 45-26, to 26 and the Heat could never really close the gap.
0: It was Sukman Sandu who was lights out for the T-Birds. He dropped 30 on UBCO to go along with 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and a block. He shot 11 for 18 from the field. That's quite good, but what was elite was his 6-for-8 mark from distance. He's quite the sharpshooter for this team.
2: Definitely. Rest of the UBC starters, they all had relatively quiet nights. No one scored more than Grant Audu, who had 10 points. This wasn't because they were struggling, though. That was more because Coach Kevin Hansen, he was giving his bench significant minutes once the Thunderbirds pulled away in this
3: one. Speaking of the bench, Tristan Matthews and Jerome Jamesley were the depth players that benefited most from the extended playtime. Matthews was second on the team with 15 points, while James Lee tied Sandu for the team lead with seven boards.
1: Game two saw a better defensive effort from the Heat as they prevented the Thunderbirds from pulling away for most of the game. Still a late run by UBC put this one firmly out of reach and cemented another comfortable win.
0: Yeah, the starters, they got more time in this one with the Heat. Playing a bit more feisty, they answered the bell. Audu, he had 23 points. Sandu double-doubled with 15 and 12 rebounds. Jack Cruz-Dumont had 11 points with four assists. And Brian Wallach had eight boards.
2: Yeah, the trio of Audu, Sandu, and Cruz-Dumont, they all snagged three steals which is pretty cool, but that was kind of balanced out by Audu. He had eight turnovers <laughs> on the night. Not ideal. I mean, he was the high scorer, so he had
3: a good game, but uh, you might want to clean that up against tougher competition. <laughs> Sounds like a Darius Garland stat line. <laughs> uh, next up is a breaking candle West action for the T-Birds. They don't play a conference game until the 26th against the UNBC Timberwolves. However, that doesn't mean they aren't in action, as they'll be filling that void with a trip to the Crosstown Rivals SFU NCAA Division II, and an exhibition match taking place on Saturday, which is one of the, which is the first in a very long time, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, I think it's the first in six or seven years or something like that that these two teams are going to be playing. We need more games against SFU. Yes. It's fun.
2: <laughs> if you've been following the women's basketball team this year, just go book your manicure now. After this many nail biters, you need it. Take care of yourself. We'll cover half the cost. Don't quote me on that. It was a second consecutive weekend split for the Thunderbirds with neither game decided by more than two points. UBC lost the first 64 to 63 and rebounded to grab the second 63 to 61. At least they're consistent in terms of points scored. But otherwise, (laughs) it's a nightmare.
1: Uh, Much of Game 1 played out like a one-on-one with UBC's Kate Johnson and UBCO's Kelsey Falk. Uh, Trading blows all night long. Johnson had 29 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, and 7 steals, while Falk had 22 points and 12 boards for her fourth double-double already this season.
0: I mean, Johnson scoring 29 points when the team as a whole only scores 63 is pretty insane. (laughs) Can can I also just say, that's a...
3: She almost had a triple-double from Steel's.
0: Yeah, get it. yeah, that was, that was some tri- triple-double watch. Didn't quite get there, <laughs> but still quite an impressive performance. UBC, they led by one at halftime. They led by two with two minutes to play in this game. But it was a clutch three from Surprise Mooney of O, which is a fantastic name. <laughs> she gave the home team the lead for good with 100 seconds left, and she had 15 points and nine rebounds for a solid outing along with that clutch three. Could it be pronounced money? Could it be surprise money? I mean, oh, do we know for money? sure that it's not Surprise money. <laughs> That, that would that would make it even better. I'm we're we're not sure.
3: The Thunderbirds also seem to love losing by uh a clutch a clutch shot. I mean it's the second week in a row that's that happened. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I mean they just keep having games that are decided by one or two points it seems, endlessly. Which I'm sure I'm sure that the coaching staff loves that.
3: It's, <laughs> it's probably great for their heart rate. Uh once again the Thunderbirds they had difficulty finding scoring from more than a couple of players. In the first half, Johnson and uh, for, uh Johnson and a lot Azalea, Azalea, force power. Sorry, <laughs> uh, put up. It's 30- actually pronounced eagle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> they put up thirty of UBC's thirty-three points. So um, that's pretty not great in terms of depth scoring. Haley Council came alive for a bit in the second half and finished with eleven, mm-hmm. but the inability to find secondary scoring doomed the T-Birds. Not and it's not the first time that it's happened.
2: Yeah, Olivia Weeks, she started game two because in game one, she grabbed 10 rebounds and five steals. And in game two, she really found her scoring touch. 21 points and again, 10 rebounds. That was her first career double-double in her first career start.
1: Uh, UBC led by eight at halftime, but only by one after the third quarter. Luckily, they put up just enough offense in the fourth to stay ahead throughout and carry that precarious single point lead to the finish line
0: Haley Council she added 14 points which is a good contribution if not quite up to what you might hope out of her given how she started uh, this year shooting inefficiency plagued the Thunderbirds again weeks she was 9 for 13 from the field very stellar Council and Johnson they combined to shoot just 7 for 25 but thankfully it was just enough
3: Oh goodness! Uh, like the men, the women also are off from uh, the conference with a bye week this uh, this weekend. Although, unfortunately, they don't have an exhibition game to occupy themselves with. Uh, UBC, if you went. Um, now, <laughs> two and four, they'll also face the Timberwolves in Prince George come November twenty-six.
0: Now, before we get to the break, we have a couple. Quick points to cover. First, multiple UBC rowers went to Victoria this past weekend to represent their provinces in the National Rowing Championships. There were multiple medalists and some other strong performances from Thunderbirds. On
2: the men's side, Emerson Crick. What a great name. He was the standout (laughs) as he earned a bronze medal in the lightweight single final representing Nova Scotia. The Team BC pair of Joel Cullen and Julian Black
3: finished fourth in the pair regatta. On the women's side, Mary Law and Erin Patterson. Finished second and third in the lightweight single final, both of them representing BC. As well, rookies Ricky, Gabriella Worobeck uh, and Stella Fraser won gold in the junior women's pairs final.
1: Finally, yesterday there was the Thunderbirds Endurance meet here at home for our cross country teams. Unfortunately, results for the meet have not been posted yet, <laughs> so we're not able to share anything that happened there.
0: I mean, maybe we'll be able to cover that next week if. The results have come out. As long as they
3: don't end up like softball.
0: Yeah, as long as they don't end up like softball, but hopefully uh, they don't. But we assume some Thunderbirds did well. Probably. (laughs) It was an internal meme. We usually do. (laughs) The the odds are good. Now uh, we're going to take a quick break for ads and PSAs. When we come back, we're going to have that first part of Corey's interview with Chris McDonald. The haunting
2: debut album Black Moon by Civic TV provides a cinematic backdrop,
3: a modern day symphony of the dark and light that is our collective reality. Take a listen to Black Moon, now available via Flemish Eye Records and on all streaming platforms.
0: We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem.
1: Mass evictions. Mass evictions.
0: Unfair rent increases.
3: What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction?
1: If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. Red Cat Records
0: is an amazing artist-owned and operated record store. Shop from their diverse online music collection and get free shipping within Vancouver and the Lower Mainland with the purchase of two or more LPs. If you would like to further support them through the evolving COVID-19 crisis, you can do so by buying a gift card to use at a later date. Visit www.redcat.ca for more information.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Thunderbird Eye, CITR Sports. As Jake mentioned before the break, we're now going to listen into my interview with Chris McDonald, coach of both UBC golf teams here at UBC. We talked about a lot. Uh, We talked about his own personal journey. We talked about what he's done with the team this year. We talked about dealing with the pandemic. It was a lot of fun. He had so much awesome stuff to say. So please give a listen to this first half. Hello, everybody. I'm Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joining you from the UBC Vancouver campus. In the past, I've interviewed Esther Lee of the women's golf team and Ethan DeGraff of the men's golf team. And now, fresh off a dominant fall season, I'm joined by the coach of both golf teams here at UBC, Chris McDonald. Chris, thank you for being here and welcome to the show.
4: Corey, uh, thanks very much for having me on the show, and I hear you're a golfer, so you'll have to tell us a little bit about what uh, got you interested in uh, golf as well. Oh boy, flipping
2: it around on me already. (laughs) We'll see, we'll see. All right, to get us started here, Chris, much has already been made about the tour run the golf teams went on this fall. You folks got a UBC cover page story, that was awesome to see. You folks have been successful before as well, but this was a unique season in it being a return to normal competition post-pandemic. After that hiatus, what were your honest expectations coming into
4: this season? Well, it's it's a good question. I mean, I didn't think necessarily we'd start you know ten and zero, but uh, I knew we had good teams. I knew we'd had a good recruiting um, year. So, and I also knew that we had a lot of players that were coming in that were really excited to be Thunderbirds. So, I was I was excited about the season. Um, I mean, like two weeks before the season started, I I didn't think we were even going to be able to play in the U.S. So. UBC permitted us to do that, you know, ten to fourteen days before our first event. So we were uh, we were scheduled um, to host our NAI Cascade Conference event uh, at Sudden Valley. So it was a bit of a rush to get ready for that and get ready for the season uh, and have the team prepared. But uh, but we managed it well. The students were fantastic. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, you know, we had uh, our two major fundraiser days, uh, you know, just just before uh, that trip. So it was uh, it was a unique time. Um, like, from a competition standpoint, like, I, I knew we'd be better than last year. We had recruited, like, four women in the top 35 uh, in the country, Grace Bell, Bro, uh, Bo Brown, and Elizabeth LeBay. They had great summers, and several of the other the women did as well. So, and, and then on the men's side, like, we just felt like we were going to be a pretty exciting team with Russell Howlett coming in and Bryson Coe coming in and some other players that were going to help us. And, uh, and then maybe we got a bit of a surprise where Mackenzie Bickle really kind of came out of nowhere, you know, qualified in our in our tryout, our walk-on tryout, and was our second best player uh, on the team uh, this fall. So, you know, I think probably after that first event, at Sudden Valley, uh, the CCC event, you know, I think we knew we had something like some potential for something special. Um, you know, Ethan was down there, won a three-hole playoff. JP Callert for us and Russ, you know, played really well. Um, you know, I think what was really cool was just, to see like the passion the players brought this whole fall. And um, you could almost feel how happy they were to be back in action. It's their time now. Like uh, they just really want to do well for their teammates in the school. So that was, that was really exciting. That's awesome to
2: hear. I heard as well, you folks were flying down to the States, right? With the border being closed. Am
4: I correct? That's right. Yeah. We, even though we were just playing, you know, a stone's throw over the border, you know, into, into Bellingham. Uh, we actually had to fly to Seattle, so it was uh, an expensive journey. Um, but we had to make it so that we could, uh, you know, put ourselves in position to qualify for NAI Nationals at the end of the year. Just continue to climb our rankings, So it was very important we did make that trip. But there were risks involved for sure, and financial as well as you know, if any of our students uh, did get COVID or I got COVID, we'd have to stay down in the states for an extra 14 days. So oh yeah, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was an interesting start to the season. Yeah, it turned out pretty well, though, I'd have
2: to say. Yeah, it was
4: terrific, yeah.
2: Awesome. Of course, UBC, along with some other BC schools, they did get a couple chances last year to compete, not in NAIA competition, but the BC Rivalry Series. You were actually the inventor of that competition. I'd love to know what some of the challenges were in making pandemic golf happen last year.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> that was... Um that was an interesting time for sure. I mean, I started working on the potential or the sort of the the thought behind the series in March, as soon as we heard about COVID and knew what was actually, you know, really understood what was going on. It was, it was pretty clear. We would probably miss at least, you know, the fall season. We were hoping everything would open last spring, but um, you know, it it just gave us an opportunity to sort of, um, you know, for me at least just focus on, you know, talking to BC schools, seeing if they were interested. And then obviously the challenges as you've asked for, were like really just getting golf courses because there were so many, um, you know, tee times are just, you know, so booked up. So, you know, we're really grateful like Morgan Creek, the Okanagan golf club, Northview, Sandpiper, Chilliwack, like they all came through, gave the students tee times and we were able to have, you know, it wasn't like a full sort of 10 team or 15 team event, but at least we were able to have you know, three, four teams playing together. And it did feel a little bit like college golf to give some normalcy, um, you know, you know, to college golf, like, you know, for our teams and for our students. So that, that did feel really good. And, you know, I mean, we, we sort of out of that series, like Sonia Tang and Ethan really played well. So, um, you know, that, that really helped their emergence and their confidence. So yeah, it was, it was well worth it, but uh, certainly um, a challenging time.
2: And, The original competition, it was eight events that happened in the fall. And originally, I believe a spring season was planned, but it never sort of materialized. Could you fill us in on that decision or why that happened?
4: Yeah, so we were very, we just had the perfect window for the fall. We were so lucky, like we had sort of that September to November window where, you know, there really weren't very many travel restrictions. So we were able to get up even and play in Kelowna. Um, but then we were limited to our health zone, sort of that mid-November point. And then from there onward, all the way through the spring, we just, uh, you know, the federal government wasn't allowing sport at our level to, to cross the border. Yeah, UBC wasn't comfortable with it, obviously, as well. And um, yeah, so that, that just slowed down our ability to be able to, you know, or stopped our ability to be able to compete and get to U.S. nationals, our NAI nationals. Um, and even, you know, the Canadian Nationals was cancelled in 2020 and 2021. They, they tried to put it together again this fall, but even that lacked enough momentum. So it looks like our Canadian Championships won't happen until uh, 2022 of May, so this coming May. So it's just, just a lot of government restrictions that didn't provide uh, an opportunity for us. And then we had to declare to play in the NAI um, in the fall. And then once we knew we were going to play the BCRS, versus playing the NAI that, uh, that made our decision really, really clear. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. A, the pandemic was difficult for everybody from what I've gathered. So no surprise that some hump, some bumps in the road that you folks had to deal with there.
4: Yeah. I mean, we were, we were probably Corey, we were probably had to be one of the luckier teams, you know, if True. you were on an ice rink, you had a small, you know, square to practice in and you know, we were outside, at least we were playing golf. And so we can't really complain we were we were very very fortunate we were able to uh, have some competitions you know on the course you know players can um, you know avoid sort of you know um you know high fives and stuff like that uh, although it was it was really interesting you know having to run tournaments and be doing temperature tests and all the other things but yeah um you know we navigated it well and it was it ended up being a really fun series yeah
2: and I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about meaningful competition. It's one thing to play your sport, but it's another thing to have those opportunities to go out, compete, play for something. You may not have the glitz and glamour of an NAIA national championship or something like that, but at least
4: it means something more than just practice. So absolutely. It's it's amazing how just everyone gets up for any competition, even if it's match play or, you know, playing with a school that, you know, maybe you have an advantage over. It still brings out the best in our players. So I was really proud of them for, you know, taking that on. Awesome. Switching back to this year, I'm curious about how your golfers have been
2: handling the steady stream of victories. You mentioned 10 and 0 to start the <laughs> season. How do you keep the team's motivated when these victories are so abundant and often the margins of victory are
4: so large? Um, like, well, I mean as competitive golfers, you like they learn, you know, to isolate events on the course, right? So, um you know, you learn not to get too far ahead of yourself. We we have a confident group, but they're they're humble and they approach like each event with the same determination uh, you learn in golf like it's never over till it's over and like no lead is safe uh, so you have to kind of win each round each hole uh, each moment out there so yeah just the game maybe just in itself doesn't really allowed, allow you to sort of get ahead of yourself too much I mean this this fall we played uh, Lewis and Clark down in Idaho and You know they were they were up four shots with one hole to go, but you know we had four players still on the course, and all four of our guys made birdie uh, to tie them for the win. And we saw Lewis and Clark celebrating uh, before um, before the final ball was in the hole. And and there's just no room for that in golf. Their their coach actually called called me to apologize as we were driving out of town because you know it's just not the way golf is. You just you just play one hole at a time and do the very best you can. You know, I think this year we do have like a luxury of some depth and a good mix of like first year and returning players. So there's lots of internal competition for spots like no one's going to give up on any round.
2: Yeah, you mentioned internal competition there. That segues great into my next question. University golf, very unique in its structure because the tournaments are team events and individual events being played simultaneously. So how do you keep the team bonded, supportive of one another when the players are really competing against one another at the same time
4: yeah so like the format you're right like the the format is five players play for the team and then after each 18 hole round we drop the highest score and then we count the top four rounds um for for that for that particular round for our team play um but I I think what you're asking about is like how do we create togetherness in an individual sport and I, I think college golf is a bit of a unique entity there like to make a college team, you have to be like very skilled and have low scores individually out of junior golf. But then when you play four or five years in college where, you know, it's a team and your your pathway after college, you know, you're, you're, you know, that is, that is unique. You sort of go individual to a team for all that period of time. And then your pathway actually is back out to professional golf or high-end amateur golf. You go back to an individual sport. Um, But we, we, we don't really have too much trouble addressing this with students. Like it's, it's um like like i think you know the togetherness comes from looking at the scoreboard and the team scores and you know just seeing like the t-birds on top and 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 focusing you know on what we can do to get our lowest score uh, as a team that that's really the focus like certainly for me you know within the culture like i'm 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 much more about the team wins than individual wins you know obviously if we have an individual win you know that's fantastic but it's really about the team and certainly that's how college golf is covered as well so every player has to be their best everyone's trying to win the tournament it's great when we have those wonderful uh, breakthrough performances by individual players but it counts for the team score and i i don't think there's anyone on our team that um you know is just there for the individual stuff they they really want to win for the t-birds and that's uh that's pretty exciting we don't have a direct rival in canada but we do have a few in the u.s where you know the team score really stands out and the players are really pushing each other to be the best for each other.
2: Awesome. On that topic, I wonder if you could explain a little bit about the selection process for those teams. You mentioned it's five golfers per event, but there are, it's a deeper roster at UBC than just five per team. So how do you go about making those choices?
4: Yeah. So uh, that's just team qualification. So, so each year I sit with the players and the team and just ask how they want to qualify. And um, it, it is a, It is a sensitive one because it does add some stress to players where they're having to play teammates and friends and and get in that top five position. Um, This year, what we've done is we take the top two players from our past event. So for example, we just played an event at LC. So whoever those two top players for UBC were, they get automatic qualification for the next event that we play and or anyone who's like top 15% um, on our team for that particular event. So because we don't want to um, you know, we want to reward good golf. So anyone who plays really well gets, and that's, we feel like that's top 15% of the field. They also get inv- invited to that next event. And then when we, when we do come back from the trip, we'll have a qualifier, usually at Shaughnessy, the private course that, uh, just off campus here, which, um, you know, supports us. It's our, it's our home course and major, major supporter sponsor. And, uh, we will play the rest of the remaining players that are not qualified and, um, And usually that's two or three spots available out of, say, six or seven men or women. And uh, those players play and represent at the next event. So that's how we do it throughout the season. So there's basically an automatic qualification from playing well in the tournament. And then there's uh, a qualification when we get back home to our home course.
2: Great. I appreciate you shedding some light on that. You bring me back to chatting with Ethan DeGraff, actually. You brought up Shaughnessy. What a fantastic course to be calling your home course. It's a, I mean, I've been there for the Canadian open back in 2011. It's a fantastic venue. That's a, it seems like quite a privilege for you folks to have access to a, a ground
4: that nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's obviously just an incredible property and uh, you know, the membership, a lot of them are, are a lot of the, the members there are, are UBC grads or have a connection to UBC. So they're very proud to have the students training and competing out there. Um, you know, we're, we're businesslike when we're there, we, we do our thing, we, we, we get our practice, our training in, and then and we do play as much as we possibly can. They, they give us access to their teaching. Um, they treat our players so well. A lot of our students actually work in the summer at the course, so there's a good connection there. A lot of our athletes work um, either in the back shop, like not just golf, but uh, volleyball, football. Guys work yeah. on the, uh, uh, the greens crew as well in the summer, so there's a really nice uh, connection. Um, you know, we also have Musqueam Golf and Learning Academy, which is a fantastic facility that helps us as well, um, especially on cold days. We're over there hitting golf balls. But as far as like qualification and, and the, the play training, we're at Shaughnessy most of the time. We built in 2005 when the, when the, the first Canadian Open was there, you were at the one in 2011. Yeah. But in 2005, when the first one was there, um, they, had, they, were moving, um, they had to move a lot of uh, uh, ground and uh, a few trees and different things. To create space and create a, you know, turn it into really a PGA Tour golf course. And um, since the um, the mechanisms, the tools were all there, we actually invested and built our own driving range there. So we have a 12 month grass uh, driving range for our team there. It's uh, it double ended their range, and that's given our uh, players just that much more space and a a quiet environment for for us to train, especially on the nice weather days.
2: Awesome, great to have that relationship
4: with the local course. Yeah, it's really a a special relationship Shaughnessy has with UBC.
2: With student athletes, it's it's right there in the name. These are people that compete in sports, but they also have to focus on their academics. What do you do as a coach to foster success for your players in the classroom?
4: Yeah, it's a huge part of my role. So like personally, just try to connect with each student each term, like have a bit of a discussion, you know, talk to them about their study habits. Um, You know, I know like, in the last uh, month just being on bus rides you know to Chilliwack or up to Kelowna just sitting with each of the the students and just asking you know what's their favorite subject right now you know what's what's maybe holding them back what's the what's the plan for the future all of those great conversations that you that lead to further conversations it's 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 especially something we talk a lot about with our first and second year players because of time management and building strong routines and um, you know encouraging them to get a study partner and Uh, Work together on that. You know, so, you know, but I'm also fortunate I coach a school, as you know, it's top 30, top 40 in the world undergrad. And, um, you know, part of our focus is, you know, when we're recruiting, we try to recruit great students as well. So if you can do well in school and get ahead academically, uh, you know, whether you're a varsity student or not, you'll have more chance to do the things that, you know, outside the academic world that you love to do as well. And for us, it's golf. So, you know, the more we play, typically the better we play. So, you know, we have a strong academic focus. Um, we're a small team, but like per capita, we're one of the leaders in the uh, academic all Canadians as well. So uh, really proud of the work our students have done academically and and, you know, the various faculties we're in. We have students that are engineers, Sauter School of Business. We have human kinetics. We have uh, the you know, kinesiology department, of course, and um, art students. We have you, you name it. We, you know, we've got a, a real variety of, uh, of interests on our team.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. That was the first half of our interview with Chris McDonald. We'll have the second half on next week's show. Before we wrap up, during uh, the while we were playing the interview, we did do some research as to whether there's a UBC athlete with a longer non-hyphenated last name than Master Domenico. And we found Sam Van Snellenberg of the UBC baseball team. Mike did point out that there was a space in his last name. So there, there is some controversy here, but he might have the crown of the the longest such name. Congratulations! Congratulations <laughs> to Sam. <laughs>
2: Before we duck out here, just gonna quickly run over what sports we have coming up later this week: soccer national championships. They both play tomorrow. Women, 9 a.m. against Acadia. And then the men, 4.30 against Carlton. Uh, otherwise, over the weekend, not too, too much. hockey's back in action, though. Both teams playing Alberta. The men's team will be in Edmonton. The women's team will be here. And otherwise, we just have that men's basketball game uh, against SFU. And the cross-country U-sports championships. Those are going to be in Quebec City.
0: Yeah, and with regards to the soccer... Make sure you watch that. Both the games are going to be on CBC Sports, as are all the games for the entire tournament. So check that out. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news and stories is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Next up on CITR is The Shakespeare Show. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, Diana Hong, and Mike Liu. Thank you for tuning in. And have a great rest of your day.